love you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your co-host, uh, Matthew Zachary. I'm a proud 17 young adult survivor of brain cancer. Annie Goodman is off tonight, and I'm here to tell you that it's not okay. That 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, iHeartRadio Talk, or listening to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. Tonight's show, Stupid Lung Cancer. Lung cancer's a bitch. What's worse... More and more non-smoking young adults are getting diagnosed each year. What's up with that? Join us as we welcome Katie Brown, Director of Support and Advocacy at the Longevity Foundation, Dr. Lynn Eldridge, author, speaker, lung cancer specialist, and lung cancer survivor, Cam Warnicky, author, David Zvatsky, Right for Life in the Advocacy Spotlight. And that's it, right? That is it. Yeah, we we're, are. We're, di- missing, we're missing our women. Yeah, we are down to... Two women tonight. Uh, Annie Goodman off tonight, and Maureen Sweet, what who did, is... Didn't you say you were going to say that Annie was uh, stuck under something heavy? Annie is stuck under something heavy. That is correct. We hope that she... Uh, <laughs> she gets unstuck. Yeah. She gets unstuck from something heavy. It's like and that Simpson skit, yeah. uh, stuck between a rock and a hard exactly, place. Exactly. Yep. It is exactly that Yes. It, whatever you just said. Yes. It's and, a visual right, on and, the radio. Yes. <laughs> and Maureen's off tonight. Maureen is uh, Ohioing herself. Uh, on uh, a day off, and she'll be joining you and I in Ohio as we transcend the um, the eastern seaboard. I am excited to go to Cleveland Ohio for the first time to play that Cleveland tourism video. And uh, well, what is happening in Cleveland, Kenny? We are going to Critical Mass. And what is Critical Mass? Critical Kenny? Mass is the artist formerly known as the Livestrong Young Adult Alliance. And we are going there. It's typically in Texas, um, which is more conducive to a November climate. 
but we are super excited to be heading out there. Uh, as Matt referenced, we watched a video uh, as to the Cleveland tourism industry, and uh, it, it looks fantastic, and Maureen has been talking it up and, and disproving any of our, our preconceived notions of what o Ohio could offer. Right, and, and uh, I've been to Cleveland twice, yeah. and it is it, – it's, it's – it's, I say it's it's politically incorrect name within the state of Ohio and the rest of the country is the mistake by the lake, but it does have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I've been to twice, which is an extraordinary museum and one of the unique experiences in the country uh, to, to be at. And I do hope we have some time to go visit that. And they do have two buildings, two tall skyscrapers, and that's about it. I claim fame. Somebody tweeted. I, I tweeted earlier uh, things to do in uh, things to do in Cleveland. Go, and somebody said that I can sing Cleveland Rocks, uh, <laughs> which was from the Drew Carey show. The Drew Carey show. I'm led to believe that's about it. Yeah. Um, but the tagline of this video that Matt and I keep referencing was, uh, "At least we're not Detroit." <laughs> oh God. And if Heidi's listening, we we love you. Yeah. And, Heidi being the uh, chief executive officer and uh, founder of Critical Mass. Yes. And. Uh, the the gracious host of the conference. It's like the sixteen uh, candles, or the or like uh, the or the Breakfast Club. All the young adult uh, nonprofit founders and executive directors from the last couple of years show up um, once a year for this professional society event. Yes. Meet and greet, share wisdom, get drunk. It's kind of it's it's as if somebody peed in the think tank. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. <laughs> I like that. It's a contaminated We're gonna, think tank. That's, that's, a, that's their new tagline. <laughs> Critical mass. Come pee in the think tank. Very nice. Anyway. Anyway, so anyway, speaking of Maureen and Allie Ward, our VP of programs, they were down in D.C. last week for what I went down for earlier this year, which is a lobby day with the folks at Safer Chemicals Healthy Families. You may remember them from the show three weeks ago. We did a show called... Stupid environment about all the lovely things that penetrate our bodies every day. IB, uh, I guess we can cut that. Yes. <laughs> all the basic things that permeate our skin in the uh, fashion, food, automotive, chemical, garden, variety, sky, air, nonsense. Um, and uh, they were there for something called the Stroller Brigade. And the Stroller Brigade is uh, a march on D.C. to talk to lo uh, lobbyists, and legislators and lawmakers about reforming the Toxic Chemicals uh, Reform Act, TOSCA. Yes. And uh, the irony being, you are the only staff member who could actually push a stroller. Yes, that is actually true. That I'm, the, and I do push a stroller. You do. But it was a lar largely like a mommy brigade, stroller brigade kind of thing. But they went down there. It was their first lobby experience. Maureen and Allie had an amazing time, and we're really thrilled to be uh, continuing our great relationship with the the guys down there. Breast Cancer Fund, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics, the uh, Breast Cancer Action, the uh, uh, Safer Chemicals, uh, Healthy Families. It's a really great consortium. Let's see how many names you can rattle off. I'm, I'm done with those four of them. Okay. I'm done. Anyway. Good. Good. So, um, and I had another chat. I wanted to just bring this up. I, want, I had a chat with a, uh, a woman named Lauren Spiker, for those of you out there. Lauren uh, lost her daughter to cancer many, many years ago, and she started a nonprofit called Teens Living with Cancer. That's the website, teenslivingwithcancer.org. And uh, she came to me to talk about Instapeer, which is our mobile health initiative, which we're very excited and we'll talk about later in the show, because uh, a lot of the teens that she's working with uh, got word of it 
and they were really excited at the idea of using a uh, an app on their phone to connect with other teens. But what Lauren Lauren's secret sauce is that she managed to figure out how do you actually engage teenagers in a social setting like a support group that's age appropriate, that's in tune with their whatever their ADHD or their OCD yes. or their their you know. My dad would call it the, the zippy wow of their lives. Do they put something in the water? I have no idea, but I would imagine that's probably part of the solution. Is Justin Bieber playing in the background? <laughs> exactly. So I, it was, I just wanted to raise awareness that, you know, we, we, we don't talk a lot about teenagers, but teenagers are part of the stupid cancer community, and as are their parents, who are largely around my age, 40, 45, 50 years old, who have teenage children. You're getting old. I am getting very old. I'll be 50 in uh, uh, 10 years from May. I'm about I'm two months shy of twenty seven. Oh my God, a pup. Everyone like everyone under uh, and anyone over forty is like you're a pup. Anyone under twenty seven is like you're an old man. Yep. So nice. Anyway, so uh, I had a really good chat with her. So again, the website is Teens Living with Cancer. I posted it in the chat room. Yes, and thank you. The chat yes. room is live. We are not live tweeting tonight because Maureen again is Ohioing herself. And we're also pretty lazy. Yeah. I'm going to go with and I can, I can only look at so many computer windows. But I did have an announcement. Uh, the new Stupid Cancer store uh, will be rolling out soon. A so. new store, Kenny? What's that about? Ha. Uh, yeah, some enhancements. The new Stupid Cancer store coming to you live soon so on the can, Internet. So you can spend even more money. You could spend all of your booze money on us. Because no. that's where the budget comes from, right? That is. that is. Yeah, there's no other discretionaries. It just goes booze money or Stupid Cancer store. Yes. Wonderful. Precisely. This has been a fabulous conversation. With it has. You. Let's, let's get rolling. <laughs> okay. Let's hit up our, our first guest here. Okay, David Tabaski. He's a bit of a renaissance man. Is that all? Am I done? Yeah, you're done. <laughs> He's an author, actor, activist, speaker, and juggler. We're going to talk about that. Our love affair... Uh, began when he approached me to contribute my story to a Chicken Soup for the Soul book called The Cancer Book, 101 Stories of Courage, Support, and Love, a book that he himself published in 2009. His latest book is called Right for Life, Communicating Your Way Through Cancer, and he's here live in studio with this very handsome Dave Tabaski to talk with us about what he's got up his sleeve and uh, a little reunion of sorts. Hey, Matt. Dr. David Tabaski. Thank you, sir. You're not really a doctor, though. <laughs> Are you a doctor? Because you're a lot of other things. No. I'm not a doctor. Lie to me. I could. <laughs> I mean, I have played one um, on stage. Yes. Right. Well, and I was actually reading your bio. Not that I did remember when we first talked, I, like, you are a renaissance. I mean, you're a theater guy. and yeah, but Theater, I, circus, a lot of stuff, yeah. Yeah, but your I, your website has, like, the... You, like, here's my short bio or the long bio, but the short bio was like a page and a half, and the long bio was like six pages. So, well, yeah, you have to give people options. It's hard to encapsulate all that you are into one page. But why don't you give us the rundown? Well, what's relevant, actually, is a lot of that stuff, because, you know, for example, the, the, the cancer book, which was 101 personal essays, it's storytelling, whether it's in the context of cancer or you know, parenthood or whatever it is, it's storytelling. So all the theater work I've done, all the variety stuff, teaching on stage, off stage, directing, all of that actually informs writing and editing because it's storytelling, the bottom line. So what what got you into this? Were you uh, a, 
at six years old, were you the, the class clown? What happened there? Oh, no. Not the class clown. Um, at least not self-appointed. Um, <laughs> I did get kicked out. I got kicked out at Hebrew school a lot, which was bad because my father was often the educational director. And so I would get teachers would send me to his office, and that, that just didn't, didn't He's didn't like, Dad, I well. missed you. Not that much. We well, also said the magic word. We can't say anything Jewish on the show without playing this. Like the Marx, when, when Groucho Marx had the show and said the magic word. Now I'm just going to get a lot of phlegm yeah. developing if you... Hey, hey. I didn't get kicked out of Hebrew school. I got kicked out of nursery school. I actually like Hebrew school. Well, as a <laughs> random non-sequitur. You, you weren't in my class, no. right? <laughs> so well, did, were you in like the, the Glee Club or did you... Do no, yeah, I did. I did. High school? I did, actually, in first grade. I played Hansel and Hansel and Gretel. Um, and I, I guess that... that Got my stick wet, you know, and and uh, I from then on, yeah, nice. Um, and then you know, I went, I went to um, in summer camps. I did a lot of theater, and we had a lot of we had professional people coming in in the summers, you know, working. So they, the the productions were amazing. You sing amazing. too, or you just act? No, no, no. Yeah, I, st- I sing. Yeah, I started singing in the synagogue when I was little, like Art Garfunkel, you know. Um, you play shofar? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. For our non-Jewish listeners, the shofar <laughs> is the ram's horn you blow during Passover. Yes. Yeah. Well, not, not really Passover. Passover, but I don't want to make you yeah. look bad on that yeah. one. <laughs> Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. The high holidays. Yeah, I'm a the, bad the, the, the Jew. The big one. The big one. I was close. This is when yeah. I like go to sleep during the show. <laughs> right. Right. So anyway, um, the, but the books are for. So when did you start writing people? though? When did you start writing? Like, where did that come from? Well, you know, I was doing a lot of writing all through from high school on. Uh, I started writing writing plays, and I, I've done lots and lots of one man shows that I've written, you know, like full length you know, two-hour productions. And and then book stuff started, um, real s- serious book stuff started in 2005 when I worked with Marlo Thomas on an anthology, a, a collection of stories. How did you come across her? A um, friend of mine was working with her. They invited me to come in at, at a, kind of at a beginning, just, just doing some freelance stuff with them. And then I ended up doing the whole book. Like every, you know, I was hands-on on about 65 out of the 100 stories. And there were a few in there that were related to cancer. Well, um, she's obviously Danny Thomas, her well, father is the founder of St. Jude. Yeah, exactly. Her whole link to all that. And she knew one of the new publishers of Chicken Soup. That, okay. Yeah. And so when they, I guess they must have mentioned something, and Marlo recommended me um, to do that book. They asked me to do it, and and then I did. And, boy, that changed a lot um, for me. Just do, the process of doing it, you know, there were almost about 2000 stories and poems and things like that, that were submitted. Right. Just soaking into that and wearing, I feel like you're wearing everybody's story, even the ones that you can't take in the book. I mean, you can only take 101 at the end, but, um, I mean, I personally wrote to every single person whose story I didn't take and that's unprecedented. No one else, no one who ever had done a chicken soup book in their whole history had ever done anything like that. And I, I, I told the publishers I wanted to do that, and they thought I was crazy. But I said, in this subject matter, people are putting their hearts out. They're really stepping out into something. They need to be acknowledged. So um, the whole process, even beyond the book, was kind of staggering in, in, in a way. Um, and that led to me doing um, writing workshops in cancer centers around the country. I've been doing that for a few years, and those are remarkable. So was this the first... Chicken Soup for the solo book that was specifically for cancer? Well, 10 years earlier, back in... Or was the first one all cancer, too? No, no, yeah, there was one devoted to cancer, like, it, it came out in 1999, I believe, and then 2009, 10 years later, was the one I did. 
Um, yeah. So they had done a book on general cancer. They had done also one specifically on, on stories related to breast cancer in particular. Right. Yeah. So when you... So this was a conscious choice, or was this your idea? No, no, no. They they wanted to do one. They said, well, okay, it's been 10 years. It's time we do a new one. Right. Who can we get to do this? Because this is not an ordinary... It's not one of our ordinary things, or we don't want to treat it that way. And uh, so I think the timing was just right. You know, they they knew about the other book I had done with Marlo, and so, um, yeah, they asked me to do this. What year were you uh, were you published? The book came out in 2009, so I, I worked on it... Um, in 2008. Okay. Yeah. And that's when we first met. But I don't remember how we first met, though. I don't either. But we dialogued a bunch of back and forth during that time. And then there was kind of a gap then when the book came out. And I don't know. We kind of just keep keeping track of each other. But um, you were just how you hadn't been that long that you had started your organization. No, I had launched. You started in 2007, right? January 07 was the launch of this organization. Right. So it is about you were you were going for about a year a year and, and change when we first met and I was putting that book together. I was Kennyless and Pennyless. What? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah. You've, and I, I mean, it's so impressive. I would. I'm really all these everybody listening. What? 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 Matthew, what you've done with this? It's really it's fantastic. I'm you know here live just in your studio. And in your offices, it's they're beautiful, and and everything that you've created, and the reach out that you have. I mean, I I keep track of it. It's it's very impressive. It's good on the radio too. Absolutely, <laughs> I mean, it know, looks great on the radio. It sounds great. Yeah, but I and I I do appreciate that you were what I call an early adopter, a belief a believer in what I was trying to do at the time, and and getting my story within the narrative of the Chicken Soup brand mm. was a lot bigger the ripple effect and that was a lot bigger than i think i ever let you know so thank you i'm i'm I, well I'm, I'm grateful for having your story because you helped a lot a lot of people you know that you know already that age range falls in the gaps like from teenagers up into people you know 20s 30s or, or early 40s whatever especially on the younger side of that demographic they're they're not they don't fit in pediatrics they don't fit in so-and-so adult things certainly not in any kind of geriatric care and so, yeah, I think across the board, what you're doing is you created a community outreach for people that they otherwise wouldn't have. So, David, you're uh, out with a brand new book. Mm-hmm. It's called Right for Life, W-R-I-T-E, good plan words, communicating your way through cancer. And it's a different take. It's not a uh, a storytelling book. It's to encourage people how to tell stories and Talk about where this came from. It's essentially a workbook. The idea is to invite people in to participate in their own self-expression, their own communication, whether they're a patient, caregiver, um, medical personnel. Um, I think everyone has an entry point into that surrounding any single diagnosis. All these, So many people are, are, are involved. So many people struggle to figure out how they feel about things, um, a lot of fears to face, a lot of communication gaps ensue and the book is meant to help people facilitate their way through that so what inspired your interest in taking undertaking this well after the cancer book came out about six months after that i was invited to create a writing workshop that was then done at all many many different cancer centers around the country and i'm still doing that and these two-hour workshops are with a mix of 
people. They could be, again, patients, survivors, caregivers, uh, medical staff uh, dropping in and out. Um, and so these workshops were the precipitator for that. There were a number of people um, who were directing patient services and doctors and, and different clinical oncologists who were asking me about follow-up materials. And I was getting a lot of emails from the people who participated saying, is there more, is there more, is there more? And so I figured, man, I should be really, I, I got to write a book for as a companion to the workshops, essentially, but also for the people who can't get to the workshops. There's a lot of people I can't do live workshops everywhere. Right. So you mean you're not clonable? No. That was the idea. I mean, I ho- I'm hoping to do more. I like to get out and, and right. out and, and, and do as many as I can and try and figure out now how to get this book out uh, to as many people because um, I think it's just – I'm just facilitating something bigger than that, and it's a lot of its triggers and prompts and, and, and exercises for people um, – that are one of the best things about the book also is it's 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 short and it's small it can fit in your pocket and yes. you can deal with it when you're if you're like on an a, iPad mini kind of you're it, but even better it folds <laughs> um, it, it's a you know it's just a, it's about 120 pages and um, it's short and sweet and it's dosed out um, I think in a, in a in a in a way that's really manageable for for anybody um, they can write in it they can take it with them whether they're whether they're doing chemo, whether they're sitting with someone who's doing chemo. And what's the response been so far from people who've read the book? Well, it's been pretty ac- excellent ac- across the board from from hospital administrators and, and, and doctors uh, to patients, caregivers, all, all different kinds of people. I, it's been quite quite lovely that way. And uh, all right, so oh, quick, quick question. We've been doing and writing really. Work. I was going to say there's really no other. I, I did a lot of research on this before because I don't want to be repeating what's out there. Agreed. Uh, and there was nothing. There's really like n- there's tons of writing books. Oh my God, there's tons of them, um, and many of them are way too long. Um, but uh, there's really and there's so many books on people's stories about cancer and also so many how-to books, but nothing with this particular combination. Right, and and that, I was going to ask a lot of people. We've been doing a writing workshop-esque type of thing at our conference every year, and it changes every year because sometimes people want to learn how to express yourself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people want to learn, well, I already do that. How do I get it on the web? Other questions is, how do I publish a book? Mm -hmm. How do I maintain a blog? What technology do I have to use? So there's multiple facets to this entire ecosystem. Well, there's some of that stuff. In the book, the book is divided into three sections, me, you, and us. And in the us section, it's really about putting your story out into the world. So there are some tips on that. There's some, uh, there's some ideas about um, where, where it can go, what kind, of, what kind of platforms people can do. And then I also, I mean, I advise people, you know, on a one-to-one basis with, with, with some of that. But the workshops, do, the workshops, the live workshops cover that a little bit. And they, they're flexible. They kind of depend on, on you know, who, who the people are on any given day and, and what their what their interests and intentions are. And uh, how are you uh, making the world aware of this besides coming on my show? Well, I've been on some other radio stuff and, and promoting it, you know, social social networking and all. I'm hoping uh, if there's that there's somebody out there listening, either um, uh, individual philanthropist or someone associated with, with an organization that will then facilitate the distribution for free of these books right. for hospitals around the country. That's really what I'm looking for. Well, the social worker world, the nurse navigator world, mm-hmm. they're the ones that want the patients to have the highest, like the quality of life. And clearly understanding self-expression and understanding your role in that and where to fit in. And, and it's not about, 
you know, if you want to write to have readers, that's not the reason to write. No, no, no. You want to write for yourself. It's also to facilitate communication with the people who are central in your life, including your doctor, your nurse, uh, your your spouse, or 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 you know, first mate, whatever whatever it might be, your your children, your parents. These people, when you're faced with a trauma like cancer, you know, brings on a lot of people. It's not a question of whether they rise to the occasion or not. It's like it, it, it's so much stuff gets thwarted. And and the, the, you know your brain isn't working always the same way it, it does otherwise. I mean, it's just stress constricts rather than expands. And so this book is to, meant to help people who are dealing with stress to expand and to reach out, right? And giving them some of the tools and the and the support to do that. So really quickly, just wrapping up and, and to have some fun. We the, we the we book could, is fun. You, we could do an entire show just with you because you're fascinating. So Kenny had a question about, because he lives and breathes, he's 27, he lives mm-hmm. and breathes in the millennial universe, mm-hmm. and as someone who runs our e-commerce and lives and breathes on social media, his question. Yeah, so ha- how has um, social media changed things uh, historically, and uh, well, it means I'm carrying around something else in my pocket that yeah. I didn't used to carry. Um, besides that, you know what, you guys are giving people a way to connect with each other mm-hmm. social obviously i mean just what you know what what facebook does and all the groups on facebook where people are finding support yeah they find a support system and that is so different when my father uh was diagnosed with cancer in 1986 and there was nothing nobody even knew how to pronounce the leukemia that he had yeah let alone once in a while i got to talk to the doctor and that was that was it was rare, and there was nobody else. There was nothing. There was no patient services in the hospitals. Yeah. They just didn't so exist. I guess, I guess the second half of that question is how does that change the publishing world, the static? You write a book. It's a timestamp. Mm. Well, you know, all the blogs and all, the, all that stuff that happens, yes, it's kind of uh, the wild, wild west in a way. Sometimes you could, on, on a publishing quality thing, the, the cream still rises to the, to the top yeah. or somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, but it doesn't matter. Like, th- like for example, my book is not meant to try and and train people to become great writers and become and be be published. If they want to do that, that's that's fine. But that's not what we're, it, we're what it's all about. It's really, really about getting in, people getting in touch with their fears, their feelings, their their fables, and also to communicate. Really, because in the bottom line, it's all about communication. Yeah, great. Well, David, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. The thank book you. is. Right for Life, Communicating Your Way Through Cancer. And how can people find out about the book? Where can they buy it? What, is there a website for it? Well, it's really easy. Yeah, there is a website, uh, rightforlife.info. All one word, rightforlife.info. W-R-I-T-E. W-R-I-T-E. And um, they can also find out at, at uh, tabatsky.com um, all, all about it. And then also um, the easiest way, I mean, just really to click on Amazon, you can buy it in, in you know, 90 seconds, whatever, like, like, like a lot of books. Right. Um, and please feel free to, to, to give a few away. Oh, we'd be happy to give a few away. All right. So the first, uh, I don't know, first five people that email contact at stupidcancer.org with the subject right for life will get a free copy of David's book. That Absolutely. is, uh, send an email to contact at stupidcancer.org. Uh, with the subject "Right for Life," and you will get a free copy of the book. I'll autograph it and send it to him. First five people. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're going to stick around, but I will. Uh, thank you, Matthew. David Tabaski, everybody. Good man.
All right, let's uh, head up the news here, Kenny. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. All right, Matthew. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That is events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. We have some stupid cancer meetups happening in Fairlawn, New Jersey, Billings, Montana, Providence, Rhode Island, Bellevue, Washington, Cocoa, Florida, right here in New York City, and finally, Raleigh, North Carolina. All right, presenting Instap here, as mentioned at the top of the show, our revolutionary mobile health app that has the potential to end isolation and connect people with those who've walked in your shoes. You can help Stupid Cancer reach our $50,000 goal to bring Instapier to life by visiting instapier.org. Watch our video and join our army of over 180 friends, fan supporters, and backers. Save the date for my 27th birthday. Just kidding. <laughs> OMG 2014, the 7th annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults. Next April at the Palms Casino in Las Vegas, visit OMG2014, omg2014.org, just once, to join the mailing list and the official Facebook group. All right, you're listening to it now live. The Stupid Cancer Show is all new, broadcasting in stunning HD. We know you can't listen to each show live, so be sure to subscribe for free anytime on iHeartRadio Talk, Apple iTunes Podcast, or right here on Blog Talk Radio. Visit stupidcancershow.org anytime to get connected, and thank you for listening. Well, we're not sure what season it is here in the Northeast. It could be fall, it could be winter. So it's time to stock up on some new threads like a stupid cancer hoodie, a hat, gloves, and more. Surf on over to stupidcancerstore.org anytime for great deals on great products year-round. Be proud, wear stupid cancer. And that is your Stupid Stupid Cancer Cancer News. We got a great show tonight. Stupid Lung Cancer joining us. Returning champion Katie Brown, certified patient navigator, director of support and advocacy for longevity. She's the co-creator of the uh, Longevity Cancer Support Community, which probably boasts about 400,000 posts. Dr. Lynn Eldritch is a doctor, author, and international speaker on cancer and nutrition who spent 15 years helping individuals navigate their way through the initial stages of cancer. And as a primary care physician and patient advocate, Kim Winicky, and she'll correct me if I'm mispronouncing that, is a two-and-a-half-year young adult lung cancer survivor joining us from Portland, Oregon, now 36. She joins us about her uh, talk about her journey and her work with longevity. I'm always thrilled to do a show about lung cancer. It's one of the most underserved and understated diseases in the country and misunderstood. So please welcome Lynn, Katie, and Kim. Ladies. I am, uh, like I said, I, I meant what I said. It, it, it's an it's an important, um, often way too stereotyped disease that doesn't get its respect, and I'm sick of that. So you guys are doing an amazing job destigmatizing it and, and partnering with groups like ours to to just you know move that needle forward. So once again, thank you. Well, thank you, Matt, for what you're doing, bringing it to the light. I, I'm just getting drunk here. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, how cute. It is so underserved. And do you realize people hear about statistics and they think lung cancer is decreasing because smoking is decreasing. But you know what? Young adults, women, non smokers, lung cancer is increasing. So let, let's get I'm on. one of them. Yes, you are. So, Kim, uh, I'd like, just wanted you to very briefly talk us through your uh, your story. What was your life like? 
living normally, just going about being a, a young adult, and all of a sudden, bam, symptoms, misdiagnoses. What's, what's your story? Basically, what you just said. I um, was a normal, or what I think of myself as a normal 34-year-old, kind of, you know, the girl next door. I worked full-time as a project manager. I was um, was really into rock climbing and running and hanging out with my friends. And um, I had some shortness of breath, and that turned into a cough, which turned into coughing up blood. And eventually what I learned later was a tumor in my lung had grown so large that it collapsed my upper left lobe and also um, was crushing my vocal cords. So at that point, when I couldn't really talk and I couldn't really breathe, I knew there was something seriously wrong. And an x-ray turned into a bronchoscopy and found out I have lung cancer, which pretty horrible. <laughs> Were you taken um, seriously at first? Oh, no, no, not a, not at all. And um, I think I went about five months with these symptoms. And the doc, my general practitioner at the time never did an x-ray um, mm-hmm. because they didn't want to expose me to their radiation because I was a childbearing age. Oh, no. And uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and since then, I've had eight weeks of chest radiation and three weeks of whole brain radiation, and not to mention my eight-week scans and, and all that. But, uh, yeah, no, they, and the pulmonologist, after he performed the bronchoscopy, which showed him that I had lung cancer, he came into the room to say, well, Kim, you know, I've seen this too many times you have lung cancer, you know, but I've never seen it in someone like you. And that oh. was just his experience. What about people around you? I'm a breast cancer survivor, and people are just loving. They don't ask me, you know, how long did you breastfeed your kids or anything. But what, <laughs> what do people say to you when you they first hear you have lung cancer? Oh, well, I, I mean, I, the first thing is, you know, did you smoke? Or how much did you smoke? Or were you a smoker? Because um, if you deserve it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. I just always, you know, I want to say, like, what does it matter? I mean, would yeah. it change your opinion of me? I mean, uh-huh. or, you know, I want to say, like, well, how much do you weigh? <laughs> you know, it seems like it's a really personal question, and, and it really shouldn't matter. You know, but I also think of it as, it's a sign that all the marketing and all the advertising trying to get people to stop smoking works. The only problem is is that marketing and advertising doesn't say that lung cancer is only caused by cigarette smoke. Cigarette oh, smoke. I, I just found a video that I thought, Uncle Live, I thought it was going to be so wonderful talking about prevention. And the entire thing was about not smoking. And I thought, in women, 20% have never smoked. Another 50% have long since quit. So all of that might hit 25, 30%, but they were talking about it like that was the full answer. Right. Yeah. And I I mean, I really thought that it wouldn't happen to me because yeah. of that. And it's just it's bad information. Bad, bad, bad. Bad programming. Uh, <laughs> bad programming and that support is so important from people. You know, when, when you see them, you. That loving, right. the type of thing you see with breast cancer, 
I mean, it just those negative things can drag you down. How so, do you, how so let me hop in here, that? guys. I want to hop in here, Lynn. Let, let me pardon me for a second, Lynn. I just want to hop in here and, and get to the bigger picture here, which is that lung cancer does happen in people who don't smoke. That there is a national stigma, but Longevity is a very rare nonprofit organization, and I wanted to turn it over to Katie to talk about its origins and the amazing work you guys have been doing. Thank you. Yeah, um, Longevity is really proud to be the largest lung cancer nonprofit and funder of research in the United States. So while we've funded 100 projects at 56 institutions, we focus on you know early uh, early career scientists, early detection, targeted treatment of lung cancer. While we're focusing on that research, we also focus on support and education. So we have an opportunity to um, educate not only patients but the medical community about lung cancer. We have an Ask the Experts. We have podcasts and webinars and interactive sessions. And then we have our Longevity Hope Summit, and that is something that is an annual two-day conference specifically for lung cancer survivors. And so we focus on a lot, you know, on, on a variety of programs that support and educate patients and their families and the medical community. We have a lifeline support program where we match patients with survivors and caregivers with other caregivers or co-survivors. Um, and we're a partner, you know, for a lot of folks. Um, out there like Fourth Angel and Immigrant Angels and Vanderbilt and, and a lot of hospitals who need lung cancer support. So while we're trying to raise awareness and while we're trying to fund research, we're also supporting the patient. And so we're trying to find a way to bring um, lung cancer to the forefront, give survivors like Kim a voice to share their story in the written word or on video or through sh shows like yours. And um, so that's what we're really focused on. And November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. So we have a lot of uh, uh, great campaigns going on right now, video, blogs, um, stories, press releases, uh, great survivorship stories, inspirational stories like Kim's, and um, partnering with people like you guys and, and folks like Dr. Lynn um, to get the message out there that anybody, anybody with lungs can get lung cancer. So, and Katie, tell us how unique the Hope Summit. I don't, I don't know of anything like it where survivors are brought together and they don't have to go storm the Capitol. They're not there to deliver advocacy. They're all there for support. I don't know of anything like it, and it's amazing. Yeah. And Lynn is my biggest fan, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Uh, absolutely. And, and the greatest thing about our Hope Summit, and we're having one this Saturday, a regional one um, at Columbus at Ohio State, um, and this is our first regional one, but we've had three national ones. And what's, what's really interesting about our summit is that we don't ask you to fundraise. We're not asking you to advocate for us. We're not teaching you how to do an event. We do all of those things. But this conference is not about that. It really is about celebrating lung cancer survivors at all stages of their disease. Um, survivors, medical professionals, inspirational speakers, everybody just comes together for these two days to just talk about um, tips and practical issues and survivorship issues that get you through whatever you're going through. So whether your survivorship is one day or thousands of days, um, we, we have something for you there. You're represented there. And you walk away with a, a community of support, which is not often when you have lung cancer can you go to your hospital and there's a lung cancer specific support group or resources for people with lung cancer? So that's that's what our hope summit is. So Katie, question then. Uh, we like to talk about progress. What can you tell us about 
where the needle has moved, if it has at all, in the research world for lung cancer? You know, I think it's an exciting time. You know, if, if we can inspire people to invest in research, if we can expedite a, an early detection, um, an uninvasive early detection test that will find lung cancers earlier while they're the most curable, um, if we can identify targeted therapies, um, there are genetic mutations out there that are just being discovered. My dad was diagnosed with lung cancer in 2002, and that was, you know, 11 years ago. And in that time, just in the last five years, I've seen so much progress in terms of treatment options for folks with a genetic mutation with non-small cell lung cancers. So that's where my hope is. That's where I'm seeing um, the progress. There are a lot of early career scientists out there um, who are doing a lot of research, and, and we're funding those folks, and we're hoping that they can identify new targeted treatments and, and things like that. So that's, that's the hope in our research. That's our commitment to research. So keep your, keep your eyes on that and, and uh, let people know how important it is to find lung cancer research because it is the least funded lung cancer that affects the most people. Agreed. It is disproportionate uh, across the board. The reason I ask the question is that I'm really excited about the new translational genomic biomarker individualized medicine world that's popping up where they sequence your genes and they find out what's wrong with you and they cross-reference yeah. that with the trial and it doesn't matter where your cancer is. It's what about you, know, it's about you and your genes. H has there been any cross-pollination into the lung cancer world with, with that philosophical new, you know, uh, new model happening? You know they are. They're 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 doing a lot of tissue testing. They're 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 doing. There are genetic markers for cancer. Kim actually has a genetic marker that puts her on a targeted treatment. Um, maybe she can talk a little bit more about that. But those the, those kinds of treatments are actually extending and saving lives today. Agreed. So Kim, what's uh, what's uh, where are you at right now in your your journey? I hate that word, but I just used it. <laughs> on my journey, I um, so I have been on a my uh, mutation, I have a mutation that is called ALK positive. It's a rare form. It is probably an, in, ugh, excuse me, it probably impacts about 4% of us with non-small cell adenocarcinoma. And for that particular mutation, there is a drug that's been recently FDA approved called crizotinib, or excuse me, the brand name is Valcori. And I've been taking that drug since October of 2011. So I've been on it for quite a long time. Um, I've gone beyond the average response time. I mean, it's, it's a really good drug. It's very well tolerated. I'm super happy. I mean, I've been diagnosed now for two and a half years, and that's quite a long time with stage four cancer. Um, but it's also just kind of a Band-Aid. Eventually, my cancer will mutate against this drug, and it will no longer be effective. Um, it also doesn't cross what's called the blood-brain barrier. Um, so I have, I have found spots, um, a baker's dozen, in my brain. So I did need whole brain radiation while on this targeted therapy. Um, I am still considered responding since the cancer throughout the, my body from the neck down is well-controlled. Um, but I'm 
able to go and do things on this therapy, which is very different than traditional chemotherapy. Um, I, you know, went to Hawaii last month and went snorkeling. I mean, I can, I was able to participate in the Hope Summit um, KPC event in, excuse me, in uh, Washington, D.C., and it's just, you know, the targeted therapies are really the way to go. I, I wish they were better, but, I mean, my experience with medicine has always been you take the pill for 10 days and then you're cured, and that's just not the case for cancer. Well, as as someone who had whole brain radiation 18 years ago, one might argue that I'm a bit of a hot mess today, but I'm actually still here. Not not the worst thing in the world, okay. and and just remember to take lots of I notes. Know if I follow in your footsteps. <laughs> uh, I, so this this show is about young adults with uh, cancer, the lens of the young adult cancer movement. You are a young adult living with this uh, through your 30s, and uh, obviously I don't know if you knew about stupid cancer prior to coming on the show, but we were founded to give people like you a voice, and again working with Katie and Longevity to raise awareness that young adults can and do get lung cancer and we don't smoke and we get it for different reasons and we matter and stop stigmatizing us. What what has your yeah. quality of life been through this process with respect to if you felt like you were being treated like a geriatric at any point or you mentioned your fertility rights were discussed or your career or parenting. Talk about it through the lens of just being someone in their 30s. Well, I don't have children. I now can't have children. Uh, the fertility issue was talked to me by my oncologist, and it was worded in such a way that I had five days to harvest my eggs if um, before I started chemotherapy. My oncologist, who I, I had just met and I really wasn't warmed up he, you know, came in to tell me that I had stage, or at the time I was stage 3B lung cancer. My chance of survival, you know, was about nine, or I could probably look at having nine months. And if you want to have children, your treatment that starts in five days is probably going to leave you sterile. So you need to think about harvesting your eggs. And he actually said that he could get me the information on that and then, um, with with kind of my report, my printout of that appointment, and he never even gave it to me. <laughs> Not, again, like, I just, I mean, you're in a tailspin when you're told you have cancer. So thinking about starting a family and being diagnosed with cancer at the same time, I mean, I'm kind of a one major life decision a year kind of person. So this was already throwing <laughs> me crazy, you know, so anything. <laughs> So, Lynn, you are a cancer coach. This is a really important issue that you're very passionate about. You're the you're an author as well. Uh, can you talk about your book? Right. I I wrote a book actually before I had cancer myself, avoiding cancer one day at a time, on just anything you can possibly think about that might prevent or lower the risk of cancer. Because you know you, you hear a little blip in the news here or a little blip in the news there, and what is hype and what is real. Um, in the process of doing that, though, looking at lung cancer and seeing increases, and it just breaks my heart. We look at radon being the leading cause of lung cancer in non-smokers. And, you know, we just finished Breast Cancer Awareness Month. 39,000 women will die from lung cancer in 2000, or breast cancer in 2013. 
but 21,000 will die from radon-induced lung cancer. I mean, we don't hear about it. Um, people are, it, it just feels like lung cancer is so invisible. And that's why I'm just, I'm just so excited talking about ALK mutation. But 60% of doctors out there right now are not testing all of the people that are candidates for that. So a lot of people are missing life-saving therapy just because it's lung cancer and the improvements and the discoveries are happening so fast. I mean, we're just heard the ALK mutation was just discovered in 2008, a medication in 2011, and many oncologists even don't know who to test or when to test, and that's something that's really, really common in young adults. Um, so you wrote a book which, called, which I th- Lynn, you wrote a book called Avoiding Cancer One Day at a Time and Then Got Cancer. I did. I did. I'm sure you Before see the irony in that. It, I got cancer. And which, which means you can do absolutely everything right. I think it terrified some of my friends because I wrote this book. They saw me eating healthy and doing things right, and I got it. And I, they had this panic like, oh, my gosh, if you did that, I'm at risk. So I saw a lot of terrified young friends. Um, I wrote it to do some things, but basically what simple things can we do? Because it does happen, and cancer happens. It, it, it happens to people doing everything right, um, and sometimes it doesn't happen to people doing everything wrong. But there are simple changes. There are things um, with chemicals in our environment um, and things we should be careful with. You know, cosmetics don't have to be labeled. Um, in Europe, they're much tighter with some of those kind of things. Um, there is a site for anybody interested. I love um, safecosmetics.org. They were on the show two weeks ago. Environmental Working Group. Lynn, we had them on the show two weeks ago. Really, you did? Yes, yes. I I love that site. We are directly connected with the entire legion of uh, environmental activists in D.C. Oh, I am so thrilled. And getting the word out about that, because it is, I mean, the... The tens of thousands of things you can look at and you can see, is this, you know, is it a rated a one or is it rated a town and what should you worry about? Um, because things don't have to be labeled. I mean, I always, before writing the book and doing all the research, I had kind of a sense of security that, like, if something could cause cancer and be dangerous, there'd be a bright, you know, box on it saying dangerous. And that's not the case. <laughs> um, we have to be our own um, Advocates, and we need we need to look into a lot of those kind of things ourselves. Um, but thankfully, there's those resources that are out there, and I'm so glad you're spreading the word. Yeah, and Katie, question for you. I remember, I think the last two times, this is your third time on the show. I mentioned something every time you're on the show, and it, it's always funny, just probably to just me. But in terms of lung cancer prevention or lung cancer early detection, there was a Saturday Night Live skit in the '80s called The Lung Brush which was basically a toilet scrubber that you shoved down your esophagus to pull the tar out and see if your lungs were dying. It was a total hysterical parody. But is there ever going to be a lung brush? How will you actually detect lung cancer early? It's not like you can just go get you know, a chest X-ray you know, at your leisure. And do you have to have symptoms first? And where is the science or the methodology behind what you're trying to accomplish through that that that, that uh that issue. Right. So right now there is no early detection test. Um, we do have something called uh, 
uh, the lung cancer screening, which is relatively new, and it's for folks 55 years or older who have a 30-pack year history and who are high risk at developing lung cancer. So they go into these lung screening programs and they get screened and it's been proven to uh, detect lung cancer and save lives. And I think that's a great thing. But we're missing a huge chunk of folks who are under the age of 55, who may not be at high risk, or who may have had a smoking history but quit decades ago. And then you have folks like Kim who are in their 20s, 30s, and 40s who have absolutely no risk factors whatsoever. So how do they get tested? So really an early detection strategy could be something like a blood test or a sputum test. Um, there's, there's some research going on for um, a sniff test that I've read about. So, you know, ideally it would be really great to develop an, an early detection test that was non-invasive. Um, some advocacy organizations um, think that everybody should have a chest X-ray or a CT scan for lack of anything better out there. But there are risk factors to that as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love for a test to be um, something that is given uh, at every physical um, similar to, you know, mammograms or the uh, CA-125 blood work or, you know, your, your pap to your pap test that can detect a, 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 a cancer early. And so that's the wish. That's the wish there. I don't think there's, there's a scrub brush or anything like that. Um, I think that that played a lot off of um, how many people were, were high rate of smokers <laughs> that were going on back then. And, you know, uh, Katie, he's done. I, I believe that if we had the funding for lung cancer, we'd have something. There's even tests where they're having dogs smelling and picking up. But, you know, for every dollar in federal funding for lung cancer, 24 are spent on breast cancer. Right. If, if, if there was anything equivalent, I would be surprised if there wasn't some form of blood test, something um, that could be used for the masses and not just people who had smoked 30 pack years. Absolutely. It is an absolute matter of, of funding. And, you know, as, as an organization, as, as a private funder of research, we can only do so much. We've, we've funded projects totaling $16 million since 2002. While that sounds fantastic and it's fantastic in the world of lung cancer, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of research. So, I mean, we have about 80 events nationwide. Um, we we uh, are constantly trying to fund the most innovative research and the most innovative researchers and um, we just hope that we can make great partnerships and make a difference in the lung cancer community and raise enough awareness that people take notice and those those research dollars go out to where we need them to be so that we will have an early detection test and we will have more treatment options and we will have a step two for Kim um, you know the the part two to Kuzatni and Salkari so that's the hope. So my question for Kim now is, you're coming to Vegas, right? And don't tell me what is Vegas, because you know, right? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> it, it looks appealing. I have a girlfriend who's in uh, Pennsylvania, and her and I talked about going to Vegas. I, I will have to get a pass from my husband, though. <laughs> oh, you just show him the video from last year, and if he says no, you leave him and take your girlfriend with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, yeah. Kim, I've been, I went two years in a row. I didn't go last year, but I went two years before that, so two years in a row. And let me tell you, they do a fantastic job. I mean, they rock the house. Mm -hmm. 
So this is a place to go to connect with the, the you know, I, I am 18 years cancer-free this year, so I was diagnosed at 22. I'm a little too old for that crowd now. Yeah, you're, an old, you're old like me now. I do have a question. How late are the events? Because I, I mean, the dress that I'm on, I go to sleep normally around 8 30 at night, and I just associate we with Vegas. I'm like, oh, God, i got to stay up until at least midnight. We operate on a 24-hour schedule. Yeah. It'll it's it's gonna be Kim, it's gonna be your steam valve release of the century, I guarantee you. Okay. And and sharing a room makes it cheaper. What's that question? No, I just said sleep for two weeks before you go. Oh exactly. And then, then, <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Well, I I again I'm uh, really, really excited that we get to raise the bar on lung cancer on the show once a year. And especially during Lung Cancer Awareness Month, you guys are my favorite lung cancer charity. That that is a rare words that come out in that order every Yay. now and then. But you, you are you're, you're you're evidence-based. You're tangible. You're a great brand. You speak the right way. You, you walk the walk. You talk the talk. The website is longevity dot org, and um, I uh, I'm deeply appreciative for all that you guys do. So so thanks for coming, Mr. Dr. Lynn Eldridge, uh, Katie Brown, and is it Wineke or Wineke? Kim. Yes, Wineke. Good oh, job. Oh, I did. I passed the test. Yes, you did. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we will see you very soon, if not in Vegas then. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. No pressure. Bye. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. <laughs> thank you, Matt. All right. <laughs> so I think we can take. Uh, Five minutes to welcome our special guest yes. here into the studio. This is our, our PS on the show, the venerable uh, Dr. Ronnie Zeiger. Hi, guys. How oh. you doing? I'm doing great. You're in from L.A.? Uh, the Bay Area, sorry. I'm, I'm in from the great state of California, yes. What, what are you doing in town? I'm here for the Partnering for Cures conference, uh, which is a get-together of a, a bunch of people and um, in the patient advocacy and industry world, uh, put, uh, brought together by Michael Milken and forced to collaborate. Forced. Well, that's the best way to do it, right? Actually, not so much forcing required. It's an it's an unusual conference though, where the spirit of collaboration is, is quite high, and uh, it's a two and a half day affair and just fabulous conversations of people really talking about how how the slightly different stakeholders in healthcare can can collaborate in sometimes unusual ways. And what are the outcomes they're projecting or hoping for through the collaboration? Well, they, I think what they show off, um, I, I, this is only my second year at the conference. I'm kind of a newbie to the cancer world, as you know. And um, that sounds weird for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> uh, and um, and they, they actually keep track of the, of the organizations that meet there um, and, and what they end up doing together. Um, I'm, I'm not expert enough to quote you on any of the successes, but... Um, the, I'll, I'll give you a, a little clue in terms of the kinds of attention and horsepower they have. Uh, yesterday at the, at the uh, kickoff dinner, one of the speakers was Nancy Pelosi. Oh. Very fancy. Well, uh, Michael Milken is a very powerful man. It's true. She was probably excited to see you, though. Right. Uh, she did seem to be very excited to see me. It's true. And have we introduced Ronnie as uh, who he is? Well, Ronnie Zeiger... Is a we're mementoing just, this interview. I will. <laughs> I'll make a, a, a bio for you right now. Ronnie Zeiger is a uh, a semi non practicing former MD internist genius who was one of the original founders of Google Health, 
and he uh, quit his day job to try to change the world, and he's done just that on many, many different levels, including helping give birth to me and my career in digital health in the most non-awkward way that could possibly sound. And I'm Ronnie's only patient, <laughs> and he likes to perform experiments on me. <laughs> Ronnie is so, now the founder of SmartPatients.com, which is a thriving new social platform for uh, patients and survivors and caregivers and, and experts to convene. It's the evolution of the forum model. We are very excited about it. And what's more, Ronnie is also one of the most uh, our newly minted Stupid Cancer Board member. Which is a huge honor for me, and I'm super excited. What, Welcome. Yeah. And what's even more... What's even more... But wait, there's more. But wait. We are going to be working on a uh, Stupid Cancer integration. With Smart Patients. Yes. Stupid Cancer, Smart Patients. Sounds pretty good together. It does sound good together. It's like Reese's yeah. Peanut Butter Cups without the diabetes. Yes. <laughs> I think that's going to be the tagline. <laughs> it's my new band name. <laughs> I got Ronnie giggling. I, I achieved success tonight. Oh, boy. <laughs> but we are very excited, very excited to have you, not just on the board, but as a friend and, and an innovator and someone who really helped to pioneer and pave the way for us to, as an organization to move into that space very uh, professionally with dignity and, and intelligence. And you're welcome. Huge, <laughs> huge, huge pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Not only so. on the board, but on board. Yes. Whilst on board. Whilst, whilsting and the whilsters. Yes, correct. That is my your, band name. That is Kenny's band that name. That is actually my band name. All right. Yes. Shall we? Uh, I would say we're going to wrap. This is a great show. Lung cancer sucks. And uh, we're here to talk about it. So thanks for listening. And now it's time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so... To all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. Our 283rd broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Like to thank our guests David Tabaski, Katie Brown, Lynn Eldridge, and Kim Wenicky. Join us, us next, next week. week. Get a job, Matthew. Oh boy. Not so easy if you've got cancer, unless you start stupid cancer. Gaps in your resume, talking to HR, FMLA, and wrongful termination. Oh, what fun. Join us as we delve into this hot mess with Rebecca Nellis, VP Programs and Strategy at Cancer Careers, and Monica Bryant, cancer rights attorney and co-founder. COO at Triage Cancer, and in the Survivor Spotlight, we have Rahib Knitz. I hope All I'm pronouncing right. that correct. That is correct. Subscribe to our show anytime for free on iHeartRadio Talk, iTunes Podcast, and Blog Talk Radio, and check us out anytime at stupidcancer.org and stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Andy Goodman, Kenny Kane, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Bye, folks. Good night, everybody.